The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. One day I shall come back. Yes, I shall come back. Tear? Sarah Jane? Hello and welcome to the Doctor Who pod and this is our super special Christmas edition as Noddy Holder from Slade once screamed at the top of his lungs, Mama we're all crazy now. No, I mean, Merry Christmas everybody. I am Cy and joining me as always is my good friend Dan. How you doing Dan? I'm just really thankful you didn't scream down me luggles. (laughs) (laughs) To be honest, I I didn't need that. I can't do a good uh, Noddy Holder to be fair mate, I can't do it. Yeah, I'm not going to try. If I try, I'll get complaints off the neighbours, because if I have to go loud, I go loud. Yeah, <laughs> yeah oh, it's Christmas so... time. We're back with Doctor Who. It's a good time for all, and what better way to start than with the first Christmas special of New Who? Yeah, I suppose the first proper real Christmas special ever. Because I don't recall Classic Who having a Christmas special. That was going to be my next question to you. <laughs> you realise oh, okay. I said that. I was just there thinking, wait, did... did Classic Who have Christmas specials? I doubt it did. No, it never aired on... Well, as far to my, to my knowledge, it never aired on Christmas Day. Uh, I don't oh, think shit. there's any episodes that are Christmas-specific. I mean, I imagine there's an episode maybe where a, a gift is exchanged. I don't know, but nothing springs to mind, mate, to be fair. Oh, fair enough. So, well, we had to start at the beginning then of the Christmas specials, didn't we? David Tennant's first appearance, as uh, as he's just gone out again of the, uh, of the whole thing, so... Yeah, very nice to see where where it all began for him. Indeed, indeed. And it's going to be interesting as well, because I, I think that we can give our, our opinions, uh, trying to remember back to when we first saw David Tennant take the role. Because, I mean, to me now, David Tennant is, is iconic, isn't he? He's, he's one of the most popular Doctors of all time. I never thought we'd be in a position where you get the Doctor Who magazine and all these online websites and fan sites and all this sort of stuff. I never thought we'd be in a position where they would do their normal, you know, who's your favourite doctor polls, mm. and Tom Baker would be misplaced. But in some of them, Tennant is now, you know, taking over Tom Baker in, in that, you know, who's your favourite doctor position. I never thought I'd see a day where that could potentially happen, when I was, especially when I was a kid growing up. So it's going to be interesting now, I think, looking at how, how it, effectively iconic and how to some people David Tennant is the doctor, in a similar way to a lot of young, older viewers that Tom Baker is the doctor. It's going to be interesting. I think looking back to see our, our discuss our first reactions to tenant appearing on screen in this role, I think Dan. Yeah. Well, I mean, we can go back a little bit further than that. Cause it's tenant's first full episode, but it's not his first appearance. Cause obviously we've got a few seconds of after he regenerated, um, mm-hmm. at the last episode that Eccleston was in, you know, when he comes along and go from, <laughs> 
Ted Eccleston wasn't wasn't old looking, was he really? But he was all he was he was older looking than than Billy Piper, and you know, real short hair, big you know, big ears, uh, big goofy smile on his face a lot of the time. And then we get this pretty boy. Yep. For want of a better word, I was looking at it, look, looking at it as even sixteen years old, going, "Hmm, he's a bit young and he's a bit pretty." I hated it. Yeah, I'm not shocked. Um, <laughs> But then we got the bit. We get the, the sort of the first bit of hope for me was when he's in that episode and he's, he runs his tongue over his. He stops mid sentence and runs his tongue tongue through his mouth. Oh, new teeth. That's weird. Yes. That one line was enough for me to go. Okay, then. So he's not just going to be some sort of like straight laced dull pretty boy. He's going to have a little bit about him, hopefully. Yeah, I mean Eccleston, I I loved, and I mean we spoke about it on previous episodes of the show. In that, mm. when Doctor Who was coming back, I was concerned. I was, I was, I was looking forward to it, but at the same time, I was worried. Cause it's something I loved, and uh, reboots or remakes are never quite the same, are they? Because it, 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 no. it affects the nostalgia factor you have as a kid, and so on as well. Eccleston really grew on me, and I think we said about it on the show that by the time we got to the the third episode of the relaunch of Doctor Who, that's the first mm. time I, I felt like Doctor Who was really back when they were in Cardiff with the ghosts and Charles Dickens and so on. And yeah. then I, I, I bought into it fully and I really enjoyed it so to the point where when Eccleston left, I was really, really worried, really concerned. And then seeing Tennant for the first time. And again, like you said, in, in very young baby face looking David Tennant. I was a bit like, Oh, I don't know about this. You know, I'm really not yeah. sure. <laughs> and then we get to this episode, the, the Christmas invasion. And through parts of this, I still had the same concerns. Now, viewing it back for the podcast uh, that are recording today, and also viewing it back not too far away, I suppose, it, it, you know, too too long ago with Charlie for our watch back, I enjoyed it a hell of a lot more now than I did the first time I watched it. First time I watched it, I was a bit like, mm, I ain't sure. But I've also picked up a couple of things on the rewatch that I really hate now. That didn't okay. bother me first time. That didn't bother me first time round. But we'll get into that pretty soon, to be honest, because it turns out quite soon on the episode. But yes, we begin okay. with uh, the, the the TARDIS. We can hear the TARDIS noise, and Jackie, Rose's mum, and Mickey are all like they're busy about their day, and they come running out into the square, the housing estate, and so on, saying they've heard the TARDIS. Where is it? And then it effectively crash lands, Dan, doesn't it? It does. And one of the first things in my notes. <laughs> Mickey's a sad fucking lap dog. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's looking back at Mickey's such a weird character. And we'll come to it. Uh, probably, it's probably the same bit that we both absolutely hate later on. But it seems it, it seems to be the modern version of companions being done when they need it to be. Mickey just fits whatever the plot needs. Mm, so yeah, I, a lot of the times he's just a lot of the times he's just written to be a bit of a turd. He is. He's a knobhead, mate. And he's a selfish yeah. knobhead at that. Because uh, we see it in this. He often just cares about himself. Like, obviously, by the end of Mickey's time in the show, his character has changed dramatically and he, he behaves much braver in certain situations and so on. But especially early Mickey here, I just didn't like the guy. No, me neither. But one thing I did like about this opening was they started like the first episode of the series uh, with an, a, a shot from outer space and then zooming in. 
just like yeah. they did in the first one. That, I really like that. That was a nice little throwback that I've never noticed before, to be honest. But watching those two episodes so close together um, made me uh, made me recognise it. But yeah, it was you know we've got a TARDIS crash crash landing, the new Doctor rolling out and saying Merry Christmas before collapsing, and we get. A, I like the cheesy line from Jackie where she says, "Where's the Doctor?" and Rose said, "That is the Doctor." So what do you mean, Doctor Who? And then the credits yeah. roll. I, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for anything like that. I enjoy that when it's done like that. I don't like it because there's a fine line, I think, between being a little bit tongue-in-cheek and a little bit daft, a little bit silly, and then losing all subtlety and cleverness to it. I mean, that is not it's not particularly clever or subtle here, I suppose, but st- stepping over that line and being a bit to slap you in the face, ha-ha, look what we've done here but, kind of thing. But Jackie's, I mean, Jackie's, Jackie Bless is not a clever or subtle character. No. She may be a bit more clever than people give her credit for, but she's not a clever or subtle character by and large. And the way she delivers the line, Camille Cordery, is just perfect because it's exactly what Jackie had asked. It's not one of those silly ones where they've looked, basically looked at the camera and winked and gone, Doctor Who, you see? It's the name of the show. We put it in the show. Like <laughs> but you know what I'm on about, don't you, when, they do, when yes. TV shows do things like that? So, yeah, credit to him. It was, it was, it was good. Yes. Um, what we have here then for the majority of this episode, I suppose, well, at least the, at least a good a good half, I think, is the Doctor recovering from his regeneration. So we have the Doctor effectively in bed in Jackie's flat, um, breathing out regeneration energy, I suppose you might call it. That sort of famous mm. now glowing orangey yellow kind of goldy color stuff that we've you know we link with you know the the color of the regenerations of the doctors in, in modern who um what are your <laughs> thoughts on this whole kind of concept then dan because we see it in different ways with different doctors in new new who but we also see it in classic who as well that after regeneration sometimes the doctor goes a bit wonky and here it's done in a way that he's just out of it but in other episodes, yeah. there's character traits and so on. What are your thoughts on on how the Doctor is in this particular episode with his regeneration and the aftermath of it, and that kind of vibe in general, I suppose? I like the idea that a regeneration is a bit of a trauma because, effectively, the, doc- the Doctor has suffered a life-ending injury or accident or something has gone so drastically wrong, so it's going to be painful. And... Mm-hmm. A whole new person is taking the place. So the idea that it's going to take it sometimes take a bit of time to to come through it and for the process to complete, I think makes a lot of sense. We uh, weirdly it, it sticks with the movie because we see Sylvester McCoy's doctor get shot in the movie, and then he's being operated on, and the operation goes wrong, and the, the anaesthetics interfering with the regeneration. So. I, yeah, I quite I quite like it, and it's it's interesting to have that question hanging over the the, the first half of the episode of, of when is the Doctor going to wake up and help? Mm-hmm. When is the Doctor going to be the Doctor? And it builds up that anticipation and gives David Tennant a chance to when he when he does wake up to really sort of kick in and shine. But it gives the other characters as well sort of chance to take centre stage. I mean, Jackie again just early on just goes full comic relief because she's just still being Jackie. She's there saying, you know, Rosie's checking the doctor's heartbeats and she's saying both beating and says, what do you mean both? Oh, he's got two hearts. She says, don't be stupid. 
you know, in, in the very typical sort of mum way that we've all you know, that we've all yep, yep. felt at some time or other. And then she's just like, well, he has, and she just, oh, well, is there anything else he's got two of? It's <laughs> like, like fuck's sake, Jackie. But sorry, I'm getting off the point. Um, yeah, regeneration is trauma, um, and, and the response to it, and it being not necessarily a smooth process. Absolutely all for it. Um, I liked it when it happened to uh, from Smith to Capaldi. Mm-hmm. I thought that was done very well. Um, wasn't a massive fan of the whole dinosaur story in uh, in Victorian London, but that whole thing where he's trying to figure out who he is and why this face is back and all of that. Yeah absolutely on board with it yeah okay uh we're gonna see it again um well in a few episodes time when we cover uh castro Valva with peter davidson yes there's, well there's next part. episode in fact oh there we go there's um the effects of the regeneration with davidson's doctor early on um I- i'm not gonna lie i as a kid never enjoyed these kind of episodes where the doctor mm. was affected by it. i understand in the bigger picture now as an adult it has to happen. But as a kid, I never enjoyed them because I was one. I wanted to watch Doctor Who for Doctor Who. I didn't want to watch Doctor Who and have the hero led in the bed for half an hour or in classic Who sometimes spend even as much as two episodes ver- barely on screen or acting weird or whatever. Um, mm. I think there's a, I, I think now as an adult, it's different. There's a way to do it. I think this is done very well on this particular story. I think that there's plenty in classic Who that, a more of a miss than a hit, shall we say? But we'll get into mm-hmm. those, no doubt, as the podcast sort of carries on into the future. So there we go. Um, the regeneration energy the Doctor is breathing out is disappearing up into space, and we find out that this is attracting something. It's bringing something to Earth, effectively, which we'll get into shortly, no doubt. And then we get to the first moment that. I, as an adult, just get kind of off with. Before we get there, though, sorry. Okay. Um, we, we've glossed over a little bit, and it, it's, and this is something that will go on to annoy me, because we also see Rose's response to the regeneration. That's what I was literally of. about to cover. Literally about to oh, cover. Oh, sorry. I yep. thought you were going to ask, because of where we were going, and we've kind of gone, it, it's not been quite in the same order. I thought you were going to go to Rose and Mickey in the, in the market. No, 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 no. But the next Sorry, mate, thing, carry on. No, I do apologise. Rose has the first of her several fucking pity parties for herself. Yeah. And when I was younger, when this first aired, some, what would it be, 18, 19 years ago now, Dan? Something like that, isn't it? It's right then. Uh, Maybe 2000, Christmas 2005. Okay, so there 18, you go. So 18 years, yeah. Okay, there you go. So 18 years ago. So when I was a bit younger, you know, watching it then, it, it was irritating, but didn't bother me massively. Watching it back now, it's like, for goodness sake, it's not all about you, love. Wind your neck in. It's so infuriating for me watching this back now. It is, and I agree with you. How do you expect a 19-year-old to react? I'll be honest, better than that. My daughter's really? 19. She, oh, yeah, totally. And Because this one here... I, I, I'm like, okay, she's a bit unsure what's happening. It's crazy. It's freaky. This alien that she's been spending time with has changed his face and all this. Okay, fine. I can get on board with that. It's put forward that she's confused, upset, worried. All sorts of emotions must be running through her head, of course. It's the later ones when the fucking planet is being invaded and people are dying and she's there still going, oh, but the doctor changed. How could he do this to me? Fucking give you yeah, a warning. <laughs> it's not all about you. If My daughter's 19. 
And if she turned up at my house with an alien who just changed his face and was getting all upset because her alien friend looked different, and I'm looking out the window and there's a bloody great spaceship zapping people, I'd slap her around the mush and I'd be like, come on, get yourself together. What are you on about? And then she'd beat the piss out of you. Well, probably. But it's, <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous, mate. Yeah, it's one of those where I can see what they were going for, but they, they overegged the pudding on the uh, on the on Rose's bullshit because this constant thing where she actually had regeneration explained to her, albeit briefly, mm-hmm. before Eccleston popped off, and she's acting as if it's some kind of great betrayal. But it's not like he can help it, and in fact, he only regenerated because he saved her. I was going to say this is all because of her because he saved her life. Yeah, well, you know, she took the TARDIS energy into herself to save the Doctor as well. So, you know, life for life, I suppose. They're, they're one all in that, but yeah, it ended up costing the Doctor a regeneration. Uh. Um, so, yeah, it gets on my tits as well. We'll, we'll get to the others and you'll probably just call her a knobhead. Um, but she does raise a good question about why Jackie has men's pyjamas in the in the flat. <laughs> it, it, what's his name? Is it Harold Howard? Howard, yeah, Howard, Howard from the market. Howard from the market has been sleeping over, and he's got lots of bits of fruit and stuff in his pockets. Oh, it's so <laughs> he's hungry in his sleep. Yeah, <laughs> and we see Harriet Jones as well as Prime Minister. Yes, yeah, and again, the running joke of uh, Harriet Jones, Prime Minister. Yes, we know who you are. That I love that as well. It's so I, silly. I, I it's quite, funny. I quite like Harriet. Right, yeah. As a character. Uh, we'll see more of her later on, but she's, the fact that she still feels, she doesn't presume that people know who she is, you know, despite reaching the highest office in the country. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that that lack of presumption. I'm like, oh, it's quite sweet, even if it does get a bit annoying. Yes, uh, but Harriet Jones is, is on, on television. She's the Prime Minister, and we're talking on, on the TV about a satellite. Uh, what was the name of the project? Uh, Guinevere One. There we go, okay. And it's being sent out to, I think, look at Mars, I believe, or you potentially even land on yeah. Mars. And it's, um, But it gets sucked into a big fucking space rock-looking thingy. which it gets sucked out. into a space hole. It does indeed. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. and, then, and then we cut away, as Doctor Who does so well in, in numerous New Who episodes, we get something quite serious and quite sinister and quite, oh, what's going on here? And then we cut away to the companion doing something to make you realize that humans are involved and it's a bit more lighthearted. And we have Mickey and Rose out shopping, don't we? They're, they're effectively in the Christmas market. They were going around the shopping centers. It looks like the late night shopping is on wherever they live. Yeah. And um, there's a brass band playing and they're having a stroll about and Mickey's being a little bitch. And Rose, oh, God, this winds oh. me up. So, sorry, I'm going to dive. So I'm going to get covering. No, that's great. fine. I'm just, I'm just wondering, is there something in the water around that area? Because all the kids we've met so far from around that place are, are dicks at the moment. Well, it, it's called the Powerless Estate, funnily enough. Don't be such a wanker. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't resist that one. Um, yeah, so Mickey gets sarky about... Because Rose is saying about, you know, telling us stories and what, because I'm not being funny. She's been off in time and space. She's going to have more interesting stories than Mickey fucking about on his stupid yellow beat. Mm-hmm. Um, and, he's, and he's banging up, oh, I love hearing stories about the TARDIS when the silly, cowardly twat got himself uninvited because he's useless. Yep. And Rose says that she thought he'd have given up on her. And then he takes a dig saying that he's reliable because he doesn't change his face which sets Rose off worrying about the Doctor again. And he must have known that that had happened. And then he has the nerve to get annoyed when she brings it up. 
and he's saying, can't you just let it be Christmas? It's like, fuck off, Mickey. You're the one who brought him up. And you brought him also, up just to have a row. Also, uh, first of all, that's a little bit manipulative, a little bit dark with regards to the dynamics of their relationship and how, how he's affecting her mentally. But I'm not going to dive into all that. But also, Rose, is, oh, Rose is playing him as well, and we see that later on. Right, but talking about, oh, I don't go around changing my face. No, but you got sucked into a bin and had a plasticky rubber mush for a little while when you were driving that car around in the previous episode we looked at, pal. He was in a dungeon at the time. Yeah, so maybe wind your neck in a little bit. Do you know what I mean? Ah, oh, just... Ugh. That's, that's the best thing, just... Mm. I, was, I was really happy when the trombone flamethrower showed up. Well, this is something that I think does it happens in this this particular story that's done really well. And I suppose it's done quite well in, in a lot of different, uh, I suppose edgier, maybe programs that are trying to be a bit scary or, or whatever. Christmas music then. Um, mm. Christmas music is obviously a, a certain way, but then when it's played in a different way, a different tone, a bit darker, a bit scarier done for a certain effect. I mm. think, I don't know the correct term. I think horrifying, I suppose, Christmas music can be so effective with yeah. creating an atmosphere. I mean, there's there's a there's a there's an album out called um, the Heroin Diaries, and it's written by Nikki Six from Motley mm-hmm. Crue, Motley Crue, and they actually went out as a band called Six AM um, and and performed it live and so on. But the album is like a, a CD that goes along with a book called The Heroin Diaries, and it's about his time as an addict. And it starts on Christmas Day, 1987. Um, that's when the the, the the 12 months in his life as a heroin addict, um, the story starts. The first track on the album is that Christmas song, you know, but it's played faster and rocked up and a bit of a heavy metal edge to it. And obviously, you know, the subject matter that they're singing about over the top and his heroin addiction and so on. And it is so atmospheric knowing the story behind it. And it works so, so well. I get the, this feeling here with this as well, the music that the brass band are playing. And also, I mean, we were jumping ahead a touch, but the brass band, uh, they're, they're robotic Santas and they start shooting the fire flamethrowers and so on. Everyone to, to run away, runs back into the flat where the doctor and Jackie is. And that's mm-hmm. when we see the new Christmas tree. Christmas tree comes alive and we get jingle bells playing in the background of that scene when the Christmas tree is attacking, but slightly altered for the purpose of, of the scene. I just think yeah, in, I like each that. yeah, in each instance, the music works so well for what it is, you know? Yeah, you're right. It, it does work. It does really work. And it's one of the strong points of this episode. Um, the only problem I have with the, um, with the brass band is, are people supposed to think they're real or animatronics? If they're supposed to think they're real people, then we're back to Mickey with his plastic face problem because they're blatantly not human. Mm-hmm. <laughs> blatantly metal masks or plastic masks. Um, oh, quite frankly, I don't give a shit because we get brass band flamethrowers, as I said. It's, it's brilliant. One's a fucking bazooka. Yeah. Yeah, that is quite cool. I suppose you can get away with it a little bit with regards to the, the Santas, though, because they are, whether they're humans or robots or whatever, they are dressed up as Santa. So they've almost got a mask on to make them look like Santa in a way, I suppose. Yeah, true. Yeah, you're learning from me here, aren't you? Explaining stuff away like that. <laughs> maybe, mate. Maybe. It's finally uh, catching on. <laughs> they all run away into the flat, as I mentioned. We get a conversation between Jackie and 
rose about a new Christmas tree. When did this arrive? And it starts spinning. And again, this is something I think Doctor Who does really well at times. It's so silly and so daft. But then also when the spinning Christmas tree starts moving and literally smashing solid wood coffee tables and so on to pieces, mm. you realize, okay, it's not just silly. It's not just daft. This is dangerous as well. I mean, that's a trait of Doctor Who that I don't think there's many other shows that do it as well, shall we say? No, there's a handful out there. I mean, the one that springs to mind for me is a show called Legion, which the whole thing was just sort of psychedelic and mental. Um, and that did a lot of weird stuff but did it in such a way that it kind of made sense. But this one, you say about things being sort of horrific. It's such a small thing, but they had a lingering shot of Jackie doing the Christmas tree at the start of the episode, and it was a little white tree. Right. It, it, every time I watch this, it never enters my brain that the Christmas tree's changed because it's just a Christmas tree. Yeah. Until the point out. And that's, it's one of those things where it's a bit like in, uh, one that we're going to cover later in the series, Silence in the Library, um, when somebody points out that there's more than one shadow and you don't notice it at the time. It's like, oh, shit. Yeah. It's brilliant, isn't it? But the thing is... Really well done. It goes off It goes off, and Mickey's trying to hold it off with a chair for some reason. I mean, at least he's trying to be useful this time. But Yeah, I mean, it was stupid, but I didn't mind that because at least he's having a go, you know? And, and there was a potential that he might have died. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but Jackie steals the scene yet again when they're going into when they're going to the bedroom where the doctor is and the tree's breaking the door down and it's come it's about to come in and she just she's there and she's I'm going to get killed by a Christmas tree. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it is good. She's brilliant. When it comes through the um, when it comes through the wall as well, I love yeah. the way that there's moments later on where they're walking in and out of the, the tree shaped gap in the wall that the tree has made. Oh, yeah. Such a clever little touch. It's, it's good. Isn't yeah. It? It's brilliant. And then Rose just puts the Sonic in the doctor's hand and says, help me. And he says, bolt upright, Sonic remote can, you know, he's off and running. And you're just thinking, wait, what? That's it. Mm. I mean, how was he sleeping through that in the first place? One. And then two, all it took was, was it to just whisper, help me. And he's, I was going to say, all it takes is a whisper and he's bolts upright, but that's a different, um, that's a different type of doctor. <laughs> Billy Piper is a good-looking last, my friend. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was just doing all it take for me. <laughs> uh, the doctor you know, zaps the tree, follows a signal outside, and there's more robot Santas stood there with big old-fashioned remote control car um, <laughs> control. I've, I've, got kick, I've got a kick out of that. Yeah, <laughs> and, I love uh, that. But, did I ever tell you the story about my remote control car I had when I was about 10? No, but I get the feeling you're going to. I wanted a remote control car, like a proper big, decent one, you know, not like just a little mm. zip around jobby. And um, my dad went out and got me one for Christmas. And um, this is, uh, you know, my uncle had like a massive one that, that's petrol and he raced it and all this sort of stuff and competitions and all that. So yeah. on Christmas Day, my dad's like, let's go, let's go out and we'll find somewhere good to zip your car around so we can really you know take it out and zap it around my uncle met us um basically at gloucester asda so we had the massive open car park because it's huge gloucester asda um with no no cars in it because it's christmas day it's shut um so this is my christmas present i've not had a chance to use it yet my dad who by the way is a fucking driving instructor so should know better (laughs) jumps on the uh jumps out the car gets everything out 
my uncle's tearing his petrol powered one all over the place and um my dad zips this remote control car of mine around the car and it goes some pace i can't remember what pace it was but it was like a pace far quicker than it was necessary to be is yeah. when you could when you could race and on and, and so on and um the whole of asda car park bear in mind it's this is a massive like a couple of football pitches big this is huge one fucking lamppost in the middle of it my dad managed to hit it. <laughs> My dad manages to hit the lamppost full on, direct direct hit, face first of the car, straight into this lamppost, smashes the fuck out of it. So then we didn't. I couldn't use my own Christmas present at Christmas because it was fucked. And my dad rebuilt it with um, gaffer tape and some matches to hold the suspension together. And it was never quite the same. <laughs> oh, what, what a wonderful wholesome Christmas story. Yeah, so that was my uh, that was my knackered remote control car. But anyway, anyway, um, not, not that you're holding a grudge about it or anything. No, 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 no. I'm seeing him Boxing Day. I'll bring it out then. Um, well, uh, <laughs> 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 the doctor um, says about these Santas are uh, what's the term they use? It's a type of fish, isn't it? Pilot fish. Pilot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're almost like scouts, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. And I know you. I know you are just that itching to call them pirate fish pirate yeah well potentially and, <laughs> <laughs> and he says that this means that there's something bigger coming that this is just like the start of something and he then starts suffering again because of his regeneration he's been woken up potentially a bit early by rose shall we say and he's mm. saying i need i need and jackie just keeps going what paracetamol oh, food she wound and, me up here see i thought the actress did brilliant here yes she did but again it's that it's that we've all had moments like that haven't we which is like, just let me get the fucking word out like I'm doing to you now. <laughs> oh, but again, it, again, it leads to something later on, which we'll come to when it arrives, that is again a little bit silly, but it yeah. works so well for me. I, I do I do think that the doctor gets distracted when it was there, like, Rinna Pinker was aspirin, vitamin soup, nice thing, soup, soup in a sandwich, you know, and all that. He's like, I need you to shut up. Yeah. <laughs> She's oh, he hasn't changed much then. And he starts getting, he starts talking to him, not got much time, etc. And he gets distracted by the apple in Howard's dressing gown. Yes, which is a lovely bit of foreshadowing, isn't it? Let's be honest. It's it's a lovely bit yeah. of setup for later on. I enjoyed that. Yeah, why is there an apple in my dressing gown? Um, in the meantime, of course, the the military types, the prime minister and, and so on, they've lost contact with their satellite. But as we return to see them, the satellite is, you know, they have contact back. They lost it for a little while. Not sure why at this point. Ooh, sorry, just and we're back we in it, aren't we? We are. Sorry, just before we get back into this good stuff, um, Mickey brings his laptop around and I got a real kick. And I didn't expect him to be nostalgic for this. It's when he comes in, he says, I'm using the phone line. That all right? And, she's, and Jackie just says, yeah, keep account of it. And we hear the old school dial-up noises. Yeah. I was like, oh. No, but I don't want it to come back, but no. Yeah, it was good. Uh, that, that whole keep account of it as well. That I got a kick out of that because I had friends who had a phone in the hallway of their house and there would be a little plastic pot next to it. And if you wanted mm. to use their phone, to, so so I went around for tea, for example, around my friend's house when I was a kid, for me to ring my mum and say it's time to pick me up, I'd have to put 10p in the pot. It was just the way it was, <laughs> you know? Tight bastards. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But it wasn't just one family. There was there was numerous because you know, bear in mind when I, when I was a kid, several houses didn't even have phones. My my first girlfriend um, didn't have a house phone. And mobiles weren't a thing for me to speak uh, to her. 
she would have to walk to the nearest call box by her house. And then I would yeah. ring her from my parents' house phone to the call box for me to talk to her. Back in the days before people had cars and just rode around on donkeys. Fuck's sake. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know I'm never going to pass up a chance to do that, don't you? No, I know. You fucking prick. Um, <laughs> we're in unit then, and contact with the satellite is back. Nobody really knows why they lost track of it for a little while. But then monsters appear on screen because we're getting live footage beamed to us from the satellite. A little bit reckless on the part of unit, I think, letting that be broadcast to uh yeah. people's homes without checking it first. I mean that's quite that, I don't think that would actually happen, would it? No. And more to the point, how the fuck's Mickey got such a good computer? Yeah. Well yeah, come to he's it a little bit. The government thing, hasn't he? It does later on, yeah. Sorry, I'm a little bit ahead of myself again, but this is what we were saying before. Mickey becomes what you need him to be. One minute he's a useless, you know, one episode is a useless coward hiding behind Rose. The next is a Saki knobhead, manipula- you know, manipulator and all that. And now he's somehow a master hacker who's also a mechanic. Mm. Yes. Yeah, I see what you mean. It is just fitting in. Anyway. I suppose we do get it a little bit in Classic Who with Ace and some of the stories that we watched as well. And Joe Grant is quite quite guilty of that sort of thing as well. But mm. still, it, I just find Mickey bloody irritating. But anyway, <laughs> um, th- 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 basically, there's uh, monsters on screen shouting and yelling in, in a language that we don't understand as yet. And there's a ship on the way as well we're told unit have been able to find the location of this um what, what turns out to be quite a spectacular looking uh, vessel quite it almost looks like a massive rock that mm. is powered to be able to fly and it, it looks you know again nearly 20 year old television it looks pretty spectacular when we see it dan doesn't it it does yeah we've said before about how a lot of the special effects um particularly the cgi don't age well and mm-hmm. uh, this is aged brilliantly and I think with this episode in particular, the even you know the CGI on the tree is maybe starting to look a bit ropey nowadays, but it's it's still pretty good. I think this is one of the better examples of of them getting the balance right between practical and CGI. Mm. Yeah, I think you're right. I think I think it's spot on. Um, yeah, I did like as well. Sorry, the um, uh, there was a little exchange in unit where they brought in this Daniel Llewellyn who's, who's heading up the um, the Guinevere One project. And you've got Harriet Jones and the unit general who's, who's unnamed, um, just talking about aliens. And he's there saying, well, you, you speak of aliens as a matter of fact. And Harriet just looks at him and says, there's an act of parliament banning my autobiography. Yeah. And uh, we see the sicker act and Dan Llewellyn says, oh, there might not be Martians. And the general says, well, of course not. Martians look completely different. <laughs> yes. Well, that, I, I thought, thought Martians, that was... They'd be the ice warriors, wouldn't they? Well, yeah, technically. Um, yeah. But I, I just loved all of that. And then... They do another little bit of um, sort of plot. Um, there's a little bit of world building. That's what I was trying to think of. Because when the Sycorax are giving their um, transmission in Bohemian Rhapsody formation, um, Mickey is has got it streaming, and it's not translating for Rose mm-hmm. like it normally would because she's been in the TARDIS, and they explain that because the Doctor's out for the count, he's part of the circuit and has therefore broken the translation. Mm. I'm not yes. sure I quite buy it, but at least I went to the effort. Yeah, yeah, it works. And we get a great moment later on because of it, which we'll come to shortly. No, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I get, I think 
I think this is what's been missing from some Doctor Who stories in recent time. When you're looking back on stuff and you don't realize you're being given hints or, or almost solutions or, or the foreshadowing of moments for later on in the episode, right mm-hmm. in front of your face early in the episode, like we've had the piece of fruit in the dressing game, for example. Yeah. You know, I think stuff like that it is so cleverly done. And then when you watch it back again, it becomes even more clever because you're noticing it, knowing the outcome later on, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. It, it's it's this very clever sort of intricate storytelling that, that Russell T Davies at his best was 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 well was, was so well so revered for, and I hope that's what we get back. Yes, and me, and me. Um, the prime minister then says about effectively getting torchwood ready <laughs> as. It, the, the, the again, this is world building. It's a touchback to other things and so on. But it's the whole thing that the the army sergeant, the commander, whatever says, he acts horrified, and she's like, "Oh, of course, I know about it," which was quite cool. <laughs> and, uh, and again, it leads into sort of liking the, the character, don't we, of, of Harriet Jones? Because I mean, there's another moment as well with a young lady who's working in the office, and she introduces herself to her, and she again says who she is oh i know who you are ma'am and stuff like that and again when she meets uh llewellyn first of all and says has anyone got you a cup of coffee yet and he, yeah. she the prime minister fetches the coffee i think that's fantastic because it shows that she's got no no ego to her about her her role that she's in she's still effectively the same person isn't she making difficult decisions yeah she is yeah and, and she goes out of her way to be personable with, and then to learn people's names and and to well to just to be involved. She's not a loop. Yeah. She's not. Um, she doesn't. She doesn't come across like she thinks she's above anybody else. It's, it, it's a. It's a bit of humility. Yeah. Which, if I could, I could get up on a soapbox and say how I wish that more politicians were like Harriet Jones, but I'm not going to. <laughs> no, let's leave that for now. Uh, we do I'll, get bother I'll, bother, I'll, bother, I'll bother with that in an essay later on. <laughs> cool. <laughs> um, we do get a translation from somebody in we're in unit at this point aren't we so yeah somebody in unit yeah and they have a device to able to try and help translate m- majority of the language that the sicarax are using and the prime minister says um, as soon as you can send them a message effectively extend peace and say this is a day of peace on earth but also make sure they're aware this planet is armed and we do not surrender i like that Mm, yeah, I, I like the I like the translation as well because it said the work quite sure because the deciphering alien accent and they said people slash cattle. Yes, you know, referring to humans as cattle, like you belong to us, to the Sycorax. We own you. We now possess your land, your minerals, your precious stones. You will surrender, or they will die. Sycorax strong, Sycorax mighty, Sycorax rock, as in they rock. Mm, yeah, <laughs> which I got, which I got a little. I, I, I got, <laughs> Yeah, I had a similar reaction. <laughs> oh, it cracks me up. We rock. It's like it's like that Bill and Ted or Wayne's World or something. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I want to see a sicker accent guitar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but this, is, uh, this is the point. This is the point, right? Amidst all this, because we're going sort of backwards and forwards here with between the two uh, between the two storylines. And just after this, when Harriet sends that message, Jackie's fallen asleep, sitting by the doctor's bedside, and for some reason has her head on his chest. Mm. But you know, it's Jackie. 
Why not? I think she's trying to peek um, under the covers to see what else she's got two of. <laughs> well, the, mor- the morning's due soon, and you never know. <laughs> Open her eyes and talk about the first thing that pops up. Um, <laughs> um, and this is where Rose has another of her pity parties. Oh, God. The old doctor wouldn't do this. Wow, wow, yeah, wow. Yeah. Oh, just slap her, mate. Make her snap back to her and, senses. But then... Like Mickey, Mickey's like, oh, you really love him, don't you? And it, like, Mickey's finally waking up to to what's going on. But then Rose just turns to him and you know makes sure the option's still open by burying her face in him and, and cuddling him, you know, holding him close and all that. And he's, Mickey's just he's back to being a simple twat again. Uh. But it, you know, it's like, but you, you can read it sort of one or two ways. You can read it in that Rose is just wanting comfort in a weird situation or as soon as she's just done that as soon as he's Mickey's clocked on that he, that she loves the doctor but at this point she's not sure that she's going to stay with him so well we'll you know we'll keep Mickey on the on the back burner just in case yeah it, it, he is her her backup her safety net isn't he yeah and that's that's how he's he's treated throughout a lot of it until tenant leaves basically mm, yeah oh but there we go um we get a response from the Sycorax and this leads to the blue hand and blue faces glowing, doesn't it? Yeah. Which is, it's interesting, really interesting concept. Cause again, you, what happens is we see these glows on various people and they just start walking and climbing stairs and heading to roofs and, and all of that. And the idea of that happening in the real world is bloody creepy. Yeah. And I think they do a really good job of showing the scale of the issue, but also showing it on a human level. You know, people trying to stop the loved ones and the kids and then the partners and the parents and, and all the rest of it. Of, I'm just saying, just begging and pleading to for them to be to listen to them and to snap out of it. Yeah, the mum, for the mum talking to her husband and then her kids and then literally grabbing her son's arm and saying, "You're scaring mummy now." It, yeah, that's going to be bad enough for a kid to watch. You know, as an as an adult, you, you've got your you got nieces, or I've got I've got children of my own, and so on. We've got relationships with, with much younger people who who depend on us to guide mm-hmm. them and look after them. Of course, it strikes a chord as an adult, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, it does. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. I was looking at some people and just think, just just sling, sling them over your shoulder. But then I'm, I'm a big, I'm, but then I'm a big dude. So. <laughs> what would have happened? Because these are, I mean, we effectively find out very quickly that the, the Sycorax have control of a certain blood type. It's a plus, and this has been sent up in the satellite along with certain songs and bits of art and so on to, you know, make contact with um, alien races, which obviously this has done, but backfired a little bit. Mm. So they're controlling the blood and and that's what's controlled the cigarettes controlling the people via the blood to make them walk to their destination and they're going no matter what they're just sort of all heading in the same direction it doesn't matter if there's stuff in front of them it seems they're bundling past people who love them trying to stop them i wonder yeah. what would have happened if you picked just pick somebody up i don't know so it'd either be that they'd just stop or they'd wriggle and try and get away hmm it's a question of whether you'd be able to restrain people. <laughs> yeah, it, it's something I kind of wish that we'd seen, but then it would have made that too. It would have made that section too long. Yeah, yeah. You know I, I mean? suppose it, as well, 
there's something about I think there's something about the the kind of marching's maybe not the, the right term, but you know what I'm getting at. You look at say robot bad guys from Doctor Who, like the, the um the, the very early on, the girl in the fireplace, very early on in tenants uh, era, yeah. you know, the robots in that, the Cybermen themselves, the kind of uniform marching they do right back to in the past up to present day. There's something creepy about that. Mm. Seeing all these people gives me that kind of same vibe. So if it's you stopped a couple and had them being more physical, that might take away a bit from that. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, it's because it's halfway between robot and zombie. Yeah, that, yeah. There you go. Yeah, yeah. No, I get that. Yeah, it, it's. Um, but then the fact that it makes you ask all these questions in your head—that's a good thing because it gets the mind working and and making it much potentially more horrific than it is. Mm. You know that it's it's great, and we see we see all these rooftops just lined with people and it's affecting 2 billion people and your mind can't conceptualize a number that big. Those images. We've we've been, yeah, we've been to stadium gigs, both of us, haven't we? We've seen stadiums full of people for for concerts. That's 90,000 people. Mm -hmm. 10 times that is 900,000. That's not even a million. Yeah. Billion is a thousand times that. It's incredible, isn't it? Just such yeah. a vast scale. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's it's such a a, 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 a unique concept of, of controlling through blood. And then we get the we get Harriet Jones doing a public address in, in place of the Queen's speech, and she realizes as she's starting the address, so that have we checked on the royal family? And she just goes, kind of "Oh yes, they're on the roof." So like, <laughs> that I liked. <laughs> but, yeah, it, it's, it's quite an amusing line, but the way it's delivered and, and the solemnness and and, and the it's weird. It's a weird mix of solemn, worried, but also quite matter of fact. The way that that line's delivered, it's just like, "Oh, yeah, this is this is affecting everybody. Uh-huh. Nobody is safe. Rich or poor doesn't matter." This goes from the top to the bottom, and she's making an impassioned plea for calm and for the doctor or anybody who knows the doctor to come and help. And yes, it was brilliant. Um, straight away, then we cut to Rose crying, not worrying about <sighs> the billions on top of buildings or an invasion, um, crying because she now thinks the doctor has left her. And by this point, I'm thinking, I wish you fucking would just yeah, ditch her. Mate. He's not gone anywhere. He saved your life. Coming out, essentially coming out of a coma to save your life, and now he's having a kip because mm. he's just changed his entire cellular structure. I'd rather at this point that he took Jackie with him. Yeah, Jackie deserves Jackie deserves a go around. Be good and a trip that, in the Hey, um, <laughs> <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> How long have you got? <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Um, whilst Rose is having a little pity party again, uh, the big ship arrives and it looks I thought you said big shit. The big shit arrives. Christmas dinner has settled in our guts, and <laughs> <laughs> all that veg and meat and roast. Oh, um, <laughs> and, it's enough to, and it's enough to knock all the glass out of the gherkin in London. I'll tell you what, it bloody is, mate, <laughs> dude. You've met me, you know what this I do. This is true. Uh, the, the, the ship per per arrives and 
when this happens, they Rose makes a pretty sensible decision. To be fair, she says everyone just needs to get to the TARDIS because that's where uh, you know it's probably the safest. We can get some time to think there. Maybe we can even escape using this. Um, whilst Rose is taking Jackie and Mickey to the TARDIS, we cut back to the Prime Minister, and she is basically saying, "You know, what can we do?" The Sycorax mm. basically say, "Who speaks for this planet?" you need to come aboard and talk to us and Harriet Jones, along with a little handful of other characters, uh, Llewellyn and the uh, soldier chief of command general. Title. general. There we go. All and, get, uh, and the assistant fella with the translator. Yes, of course. Yes. Uh, all get zapped up to the Sycorax ship. This doesn't go too well for them. Llewellyn at this point is having a bit of a guilt trip because he's the one who sent the A plus blood up into space, which is nice to see because we get so many arrogant up their own backside, not giving a shit scientists in Doctor Who. Mm. It's nice to see this guy is feeling a bit, oh shit, I fucked up here. But at the same time, it's not really his fault. Mm. So I felt for him here. He steps forward and tries to speak to the Sycorax and asks for compassion and is instantly killed. With an electric whip. Indeed. Um, the soldier, the general, he is cross about the killing of Llewellyn, and he is then killed for getting cross about the killing of Llewellyn. So that didn't go too well for him either there. Uh, and then we head back to Jackie, don't we? All heading towards oh, the TARDIS. Sorry, just with that, not only the killed, but you were shown two piles of steaming bones. Yes, indeed. It's a good effect and, and as well, I thought. Yeah, it was. It, it, it was more CGI that looked decent for the time. And as well, we've had um, before he got killed, Llewellyn was saying how, oh, well, the humanoid, maybe they look like us. And the Sycorax removing the helmet and to see he's got, you know, his, his head is he's like his bone and, and exposed muscle and red eyes. Uh, so dodgy maybe teeth. not. Dodgy, yeah, sharp teeth. Uh, and we also, just going back a little bit further, we had a great aerial shot of London that was a little bit like the EastEnders opening, but zoomed out. And we saw the ship coming into view just to show how massive the ship actually is because it covers yeah. a, a good portion of London. I thought all so much of this is brilliant. But the thing about this is that the the conversation between Harriet and the Sycorax leader is all being conducted by this translator, but it feels like they actually made a language, yeah, to go with it. It feels like I, I spent a lot of time in my youth studying languages. I can recognise little bits here and there of all that sounds like this word, you know, this sounds like a, a noun or, or a verb, you know, basic sort of feel for sentence structure and things like that. And this really did feel like it, especially seeing the, because I watched things with subtitles. Um, and it was just, it was brilliant. It was, I was so happy that they took the the translation matrix out of the equation in this one, especially now looking back at it. And, and they were there saying, basically demanding surrender to the Sycorax are saying, uh, what's better, half into slavery or a third dead? Merry Christmas without choice. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Uh, um, Jackie is bringing loads of supplies into the TARDIS because she doesn't know if there's going to be any food or anything there, which I thought, again, was a great little touch. Yes. It's practical made, thinking, isn't it? Made me think of Graham from later series. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Mickey starts messing with controls and this sets off various devices on the TARDIS control panels to which the Sycorax, uh, they pick up on this. They're not happy. 
they accuse Harriet Jones of having some alien tech or some weapons that she is trying to keep secret to attack the Sycorax with. So they then zap the TARDIS onto the chip onto the ship as well. Yeah. Which that was, causes that was uh, sorry, that was after Mickey's making cracks about it, about having a picnic at the end of the world and doesn't like Jackie's cooking and, and all the rest of it. And Rose is flirting with him again because she's keeping her options open. Yeah, I was um, she didn't try it on one of the Sycoracks, to be honest, just to be on the safe side. There's a joke about bones in there somewhere, but I just I, I can't be asked fishing it out at the minute. Fishing it, right? Um, the hey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, Rose steps out the TARDIS door to go look for her mum, who's gone back to pick up more supplies. The TARDIS has been zapped in the middle of this, so when Rose steps back out the TARDIS door, she's no longer in the Powell estate in London, she's on the Sycorax big flying asteroid ship thingy. And because she has the superior technology, the Sycorax decide that this flirtatious, irritating um, teenage lass from London now has to speak for the whole planet. And the I like yellow girl, the yellow the girl, yellow girl. The yeah. <laughs> yes, I like this from Rose's character though because she does the best that she can with what little knowledge that she has from her previous adventures with the Doctor, and starts yeah. naming anything alien orientated she can think of to try and add weight to her point, which I thought was a really clever touch. Yeah, it was smart. Okay. Well, definitely smarter than Mickey because all, all he's done is spill tea in the TARDIS. Um, mm-hmm. But she's there saying she's, uh, she's addressing them through article 15 of the shadow proclamation under the authority of the Slovene parliament of Raxacorica Falapatorius, the confederacy as sanctioned by the mighty Jagrafess and then and the Daleks, remember them. I really just yeah. wanted to see Raxacorica Falapatorius again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not at all I'm not even going to try. <laughs> you'll, end episode... singing, you'll, you'll end up singing supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. On this episode alone, I've struggled with um, saying ship and Sycorax. So I'm not going to try this Rax or whatever it is. So... <laughs> Raxacorica Falapatorius. Indeed. Um, I think he played for Sheffield Wednesday in the 90s. <laughs> Romanian import, wasn't he, or something? Um, no, Greek. <laughs> a Greek, right? Uh, um, part of the way through all this, though, we realised that the Sycorax now are effectively speaking English, or they're still speaking their own language, but we are hearing English, because the Doctor is awake. He has been awakened by a cup of tea, which is so silly. But I bloody loved it. It's the same as when James Bond dives off the cliff and his parachute is a Union Jack. I love yeah. shit like that. Yeah, so do I. It was it was good, and but they actually give it a bit of a um, a bit of a scientific ex- explanation because I just love the way he swaggers out of the TARDIS in his gym jams, and you know we're getting we're realizing English, and he's saying, "Did you miss me?" And he, he gets the Sycorax tries to whip him, he just rips it out of it. The Sycorax's hand breaks the staff over his knee and says, You just can't get the staff. Now you just wait, I'm busy. Yeah. And it's just brilliant. It's it's so great. It's about what was it? It was tannins and something else, you know, just to reboot the synapses. You just needed tea. And then he's straight into having a having a bit of a flirt with Rose and she's all happy again. 
yeah, she's forgotten Mickey by this point now. Um, yeah. And the bony dude that she was trying to on with just then. Um, but he's still not ginger. No, again, this I like as well, because he's trying to already in this really early stage, he's asking the questions, who am I? What type of man am I? What sort of man am I? And he said, am I rude now? Is that why <laughs> I am? Am I funny? And uh, Am I sexy? And he goes, gives nose uh, rose a little wink um yeah yeah but it's, it's sorry when he's when he turns to uh when the sycorax demands his attention he goes yeah sorry big fella and he's like i didn't <laughs> know who you are it's like i don't know <laughs> it's great <laughs> it's it's so good he's reeling off all these things like you say it man i'm a funny sarcastic sexy right old misery life and soul right-handed left-handed gambler fighter coward traitor liar nervous wreck certainly have a gob <laughs> it's just so bloody good. So bloody this, good. And then he sees a big red threatening button. He does. And he's, he basically goes up to the button and, and starts, well, he opens it up. And this bit I I don't particularly enjoy. I don't mind David Tennant sniffing and tasting various different things. But when it comes to blood, I find out that that's where I draw the line. Really? Yeah. So this is obviously the first time we see it with this doctor. But David Tennant's doctor licks almost everything. Yeah, but blood, mate. That's why I drew the line a little bit. Uh, mm, yeah. Can't really say much. When I was a teenager, just to freak people out, one of my, one of my mates got a cut and I just licked the blood right, right off their arm. What the fuck is wrong with you? A fucking lot. And it was even worse as a teenager. Um, Good God. But, but I know. I know. That, and then someone explained to me how fucking stupid that is. And I was like, oh, yeah. Um, what I did like about this... <laughs> Oh yeah! <laughs> uh, honest to God, I am one of the dumbest smart people you'll ever meet. <laughs> Fantastic! <laughs> um, oh, but it's, it's, what I do like is we've had this big discussion, and we've seen it in the episode about how creepy blood control is, mm-hmm. about how odd it is, and how odd we find it. And the doctor comes and sees it. It's like, oh, I've not seen that for years, and he's, he's like, he's nostalgic about it. Yeah, it's great. It's like, oh, what? So it's nothing. Hmm. Like, what the fuck is it? And he called it cheap voodoo. Yeah. It, again, it's just so clever because it instantly makes the doctor seem the smartest guy in the room straight away whilst we're dealing with this new doctor. Because this is the first time we're really seeing him in what I suppose would come to be known as, as full flow when, when Tenet yeah. used to go on these kind of you know, not rants, but kind of kind of scenes where he, you know, he'd be speaking in this way and, and so on. It's the first time we witness it. Yeah, it's the first time we witness it. And we're instantly told, okay, this is the doctor. He's confident. He's not scared. He's the smartest guy in the room. He knows everything about the the opposition, for want of a better phrase, already. Brilliant, brilliant stuff. And we get more of that as well because he presses the button to to, to shut off the blood control. And we realize that it's not a button that's going to send everyone stepping over the edge it cancels the control because yeah. they can't actually force them to die because it's not powerful enough. Oh, so the doctor again, so good. again, the doctor is already explaining away stuff more about the Sycorax than we've known yet. And he then shows even more knowledge of their type and their culture and so on by grabbing a sword and challenging the leader. Oh, but before that, he does try and talk him down. Yeah, this is true. The, the, the talk about other means of conquest that could summon the Armada. And in a very doctor like thing, he's asking why, and he's asking them to consider the potential of humanity. And he's there, you know, from, from 
the second they arrive on the planet and blinking, step into the sun. It's like, oh, wait, hang on, no, that's the Lion King. <laughs> <laughs> Which, again, is hysterical. But it's just, it's just a moment of levity in something, in what's otherwise, like, quite tense. Mm. And real life, and then, yeah, he's, he's he said, you know, the Sycrax asks him, you stand as this world's champion. And he looks at the Sycrax and says, I have no idea who I am, but you just sum me up. So we, we realise that the Doctor's still got memories and core values that are coming to the fore, and one of them is protecting humanity. Yes, indeed. Um, we then get, I suppose, kind of a, a, a swashbuckling Doctor scene. Yes. Sort of per- Pertwee-esque, I suppose. And a big sword fight for, for the planet, as they say. For the planet. And we head outside with the hit of a big button that opens the, the shutters, the doors, whatever. And they're fighting in a slightly different setting there. And the Doctor loses his hand in part of this fight. And he says, oh, now I know what sort of, luck, sort of man I am. I'm a lucky man because I'm still within X amount of hours. I think first 15 hours, I think he said, of his regeneration. Yeah. So his hand effectively grew back. And then we get the line that really tickles me every time I hear it. It was, this new hand is a fighting hand. <laughs> I'm glad they didn't stick with that aspect of this doctor. Yeah. Um, you know, what once was enough, I think, for that kind of line. You know, this is a fat hand. And there's, yeah, I enjoy the sword fight. And the doctor gets the better of the Sycorax leader after Rose has thrown him another sword and, and gets him to yield. Orders them to leave and never return and to swear on the blood of his species. And which, again, very doctor. He could have killed him. Mm-hmm. And he, it's open, he says, not bad for a man in his gym jams. And the, my favourite line of the whole thing, he says, very Arthur Dent, now there was a nice man, implying that the events of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy actually happened and that the Doctor was involved. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant, brilliant hint at a sci-fi crossover that I now need and have needed for 18 years. This bit, though, is my favourite bit because whilst talking to Rose and so on. Uh, he puts his hands in his pockets and he, he's got a satsuma. And he yeah. said, oh, look, another snack for ha- your mum's friend. He does like his snacks at night and so on. And whilst this is happening, the Sycorax uh, leader is regaining his feet and he's going to basically, in a very unhonorable way, which is kind of out of character, I guess, because we've been to- you know, told with the, the nature of the battle, the challenge and so on, that these are honorable creatures in 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 this fighting scene anyway it's been hinted mm. at he's going after the doctor from behind with the sword the doctor throws the satsuma against the button which effectively sends the sycorax to its death it, it, the floor yeah. drops away and it plummets down and the face i suppose the the, the the famous aspect for me anyway the thing that i always come back to with helen's doctor is how he could just change his facial expression and go from laughy, jokey, whatever, to deadly serious, yeah. almost dark inside. And we get it to with the family of blood, don't we? When the, the closing scenes of that episode, when he's put one in the mirror and yeah, and it's the face on him there. And again, I suppose yeah. later on when we when Donna debuts and all, all the spiders are burning, and we get that face then when he's looking down, getting soaked in water, and it has to be stopped. This is the first time we see it. Yeah, that, and he says dark the, the lunch. The line he delivers when he says, no second chances, and that's all, man. Exactly. And that's my favourite moment of the whole episode. I love it. It is brilliant. It is very, very good. And that was, you know, after the sword fighting and, and the big, cool, intelligent monologue, that is what cemented it for me. I was like, okay, I'm on board with this guy. 
Mm. This is it. And yeah, and then it just you think at this point that this is all going to be like the big happy ending. But then they get teleported back to Earth. And we just get a little bit extra that knowing what we know now and, and what it led to, not that you've seen Torchwood, but oh, it's it's just so good. It's our yeah. first mention in in these in this episode, and then it's mentioned again throughout the next series. And it's just oh god. We're gonna be diving into short torchwood soon, I think. I, I think it has to be done, doesn't it? Um yeah, it's to be honest, I'll have a look at the episode listings. It might be one where we take over maybe a full season. Okay. See about uh, we'll talk about it fair. We don't need to have a planning meeting uh, while we're recording. No, 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 of course. <laughs> um the doctor has a has a speech here about I mean the Sikraks are departing on their big asteroid spaceship thingy. And he's he has a great speech here about the, the human race is drawing attention to itself, keeps sending stuff into space. It's it's being a noisy planet, basically. Yeah, and, just so loud. Yeah. And then that's when Harriet Jones, the Prime Minister, is informed Torchwood are at the ready, and she says fire when they are ready. And we get some clever green laser effects, which blows the ship up. And good. yeah, I thought it, I thought it was quite 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 spectacular. The Doctor is, of course, incredibly cross about this. He said they were leaving. Why did you do that? And I do get Harriet Jones's point here. She says mm. that you're not always here. I've got difficult decisions to make. Yeah, but at the same it. time, sorry, at the same time, I got these real strong vibes of third doctor time when the doctor was trying to john pertwee's doctor was trying to negotiate peace with i think it's the sea devils and i think in another story it's the Silurians yeah. and, and so on and the brigadier and unit end up just blowing the fuck out of everything anyway in certain stories mm. and the doctor is pissed at them for that because he's tried to convince the the other race to live in peace with the humans and so on it really took me back to those kind of classic who stories and i, I think that's really good yeah and it's when he's uh, saying you know they essentially they, they were defenseless with the sick rats and he get he gives this brilliant little line about saying i should have warned i should have sent the warning uh, out about humans because yeah. that will you know because you, you're dangerous effectively and she harriet in fairness to her stands up to him asking if he's another alien threat mm. and he looks at her with that with that with the tenant face as we as we've sort of been referring to it and he just says don't challenge me harriet i could bring you that you i could bring down your government with a single word and she said and she basically says you're powerful but you're not that powerful and he sort of concedes the point and he says no you're right it'll take six and he goes over to her assistant and just says, don't you think she looks tired? So good. <laughs> yeah. It, so he good. plants that this, seed of doubt in her, in her assistant's mind. And then yeah, you see this it then leads to, This then leads to her act, literally straight away acting paranoid. What did he mm -hmm. say? What's, what, what did he say? What's happened as the doctor and everyone else is walking off? We get a cool scene then of, of uh, Jackie, Mickey, 
and um, Rose having Christmas dinner whilst the Doctor is in the TARDIS trying on different outfits. We see Tom Baker's yeah. scarf again, which I always enjoy. Um, before he settles on the iconic tenant suit and, and trainers and, and long coat and so on, that's great. Um, he arrives for Christmas dinner himself, gives off that massive, big, cheesy, toothy grin that Tennant does. And yeah. on the television, we see reports of, is the Prime Minister unfit for office? Is she burnt out? Uh, and so, so this, literally, the, just those six simple words have caused yeah. this <laughs> snowball effect. It, it's, it's so clever, isn't it? Yeah, a couple of things are with that. All her assistant had to say is, he asked me if I thought you were tired. Mm-hmm. I kind of get it that he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to sort of speak truth to power sort of thing. But then it's obvious, he's obviously then gone behind her back and, and been like, oh, you know, he's asked, asked to loot, being tired, he lost it because he, he talked to me. And one, one little detail that I really liked is that as the doctor's walking away and he's out of earshot, Harry actually looks back at him and just says, I'm sorry. Yeah. Because then, then that gets paid off in tenant in the last episode of the Catherine Tate era. Yes. Fantastic. It's yeah. so good. Um, we, we then, uh, Jackie then receives a phone call telling her to go outside and everyone does head outside to where the TARDIS is located. And it looks like it's snowing and it looks like they're shooting stars. It all looks lovely and Christmassy until the doctor explains that it's not snow. It's not shooting stars. It's the spaceship. You people have just blown to smithereens falling to earth. And this is ash, which is a bit grim. Yeah. Really? A little bit. Yeah. It's ash and, and bits of the spaceship breaking up and re-entering the atmosphere. Oh, death snow. Mm, yes. Um, we then get the little back and forth between the doctor and Rose about whether she's going to go with him. Does she believe he's the doctor now and all this sort of stuff? And they decide that, yeah, and then that's the case, and she's going to go. And and Mickey's doing his puppy dog eyes in the background. Oh, you're never going to stay with me. No, mate, because you're a fucking melt. Give her a reason to stay. And she's got all the option of all of time and space with Tenant. Yeah. Mm. And that's the end. That's where the music flies in. And we do get a really cool, uh, I suppose, promotional package or clip package of what's coming up in the doctor who's new season and it's clips of all the episodes that have already been made obviously for tenants first season and i remember watching this back in 2005 having ultimately enjoyed the episode but still feeling a little bit like okay we'll see where we go not fully convinced and then seeing little clips of what's coming up and thinking okay that looks good oh okay that looks interesting oh that looks good oh that's the face of bow again that's interesting and then at the very end fucking Cybermen, and I was fully invested straight away. How did you feel about seeing K9? I was really excited. Well, Elizabeth Sladen as well, as, as Sarah Jane. I was yeah. like, oh my God, it's Sarah Jane! And then it was K9, it was, oh my God, it's K9! And then it was Cybermen, it's like, oh, okay, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm fully invested. We yeah. will get to that story where Sarah Jane and K9 come back in Tenant's first, uh, first season, no doubt, very soon. But a little bit of a spoiler, I had the same feelings about K9 in that episode as I did all the others. Yeah. Oh, good, oh, it's K9. K-9. Oh, it's K9. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are your final thoughts, Dan, on this particular story we have covered for our Christmas episode today? Um, I've nitpicked a, I've nitpicked a fair bit around Mickey and Rose and and, and bits and pieces like that because uh, obviously we're here to to analyse and talk about it, uh, but ultimately 
I really enjoyed this episode. Uh, I enjoyed it at the time. And now knowing where a lot of the stuff leads, it just increases my enjoyment of it. It really does. It's it might not looking at what we've got left and the potential of some of the episodes. I don't know if it'll be sort of top end of uh, of my episode countdown, but it's going to be certainly top half. I would have thought. Mm. It, okay. I really enjoyed it. Um, struggling to put a sort of a numeric value on it yet. I'll, I'll have to think a bit more about that, but. Yeah, it's good fun. I think that's the main crux of it. Yeah. I, I enjoyed it myself. I think it did a good job of introducing the new Doctor. I think we could see straight away what Tennant's Doctor was all about uh, by yep. the end of the episode. I I love the world building with Torchwood and Harriet Jones and, and all that sort of stuff. Mickey, throughout the whole of the early parts of the Doctor Who uh, relaunch, reboot, whatever was just always annoying. So it's nothing new in this episode, but it's still annoying. Mm. Rose, however, doesn't normally bother me, but on this episode, she pissed me right off. So that was a new, a new thing for me with Rose different yeah. to, in, in a way I preferred Mickey in this episode to Rose. Cause I'm, you, I know what I'm getting with Mickey. Rose's <laughs> behavior was a little bit, you know, I'm not sure about, it. I thought the bad mm. guys were good. I thought the effects have aged really, really well. And I think the whole, don't you think she looks tired thing at the end? It's just so simple, but clever. I, I really enjoyed this. I really enjoyed this. Yeah. Like I say, it's, it's, a, it's a really good episode. It's a fun episode. It, it's a really good set of, uh, set off for Tenant. Um, it's, it's hard to beat given what we watched so far. It's, it's, it's competing. I'll put it that way. Mm. Christmas specials. Then where does this rank with you with regards to Christmas specials for new here? probably it's top two or three but they all came the top two and top two or three were the first two or three <laughs> for me um i don't think matt smith had a good christmas special off the top of my head i'd have to i'd have to go back and look at it but this is certainly one of the better ones yeah yeah i think so ah okie doke then so next week castrovalva what do you yes. know about this already? Or have you started watching it yet? Or, or what are your thoughts? I know absolutely jack it's about this. Uh, okay. apart, from, apart from what you've told me, which I, and so I believe it's Peter Davison's last um, uh, last story. So interested to see that. And uh, yeah, I'm going in not knowing how it happens, when it happens, anything, basically anything but the finer story points. In that case, I'm going to say absolutely fuck all because I want your complete, unbiased, untainted by my thoughts uh, view of this story. It's going to be very interesting indeed. <laughs> Tint. <laughs> uh, I think, sadly, though, we do get Adric. So, gonna it, yeah. everyone can expect me bitching and moaning about that next week. But there we go. That is next week. Dan, where can everybody out there in internet land find your good self and all the content you are involved in, my friend? Well, as this episode will be dropping between Christmas and New Year, you can find me in a cheese coma somewhere on uh, Twitter at Dan Griffin21, uh, probably tweeting incoherently. Uh, about darts or football or something along those lines because it's Christmas, so that's all I'll that's all I'll really be watching. Uh, if you want to hear more of me talking about stuff, I'm over on Unbooking Territory where we look at the first and last of professional wrestling, and we have our various uh, side projects. 
at the minute unstacking data stories going on and we're looking at uh, at the I think it was 1975 to 1978 of uh, all the matches that Big Daddy and Giant Haystacks had uh, that still exist to view. Educating myself on a classic period of wrestling and uh, unbooking the tank through with looks at Tank Abbott, etc., etc. And I'm also over on SJP World Media, where you're possibly listening to this very podcast on the volley with my strike partners, the magnificent Matt Lewis and Connor from Connor Knows Footy, doing alternative commentaries for Premier League games and beyond. Indeed. Indeed, all good stuff. Uh, and you mentioned SJP World Media there. That's where anyone can find anything I'm involved in. So, you know, chain wrestling and Nitro Knights hopefully returning very, very soon. Get well soon, Danny. I hope everything's going okay your end. Yeah, just give me a shout, mate. Ready to go whenever you are. Uh, and various other shows involved as well from various other hosts. The fantastic Axe Playlist podcast, which is just, I love it. It's so good. Dana is fantastic on that show. She's just such a warm character to listen to, talking about music. She's so passionate about what she loves. And there's certain guest spots coming up on that as well. And if you want to be a guest on that podcast, please reach out to Axe Playlist podcast or, or myself at SGP World Media. And it can be arranged to talk about your favorite bands, playlists, music, genres, whatever you want to talk about. It, I, I've been on the show before. I'm really booked in to go back. It's a great time talking to those wonderful, wonderful people on the other side of the water. The volley, of course, as Dan mentioned, covering Premier League football, alternative commentary from the boys there. Always a good laugh. Always good fun. Make sure you're checking out their coverage of Premier League football and beyond there. And of course, Chain Wrestling Live on a Monday night with Magsy and I. And that's at SJP World Media for all that good stuff on all your podcast players, platforms and providers and everywhere fucking else, really. Uh, but most importantly, you can find and follow this show on Facebook and Twitter. That's at D.2Pod, at the D-R-W-H-O-P-O-D at the Doctor Who pod. The last thing that is needed to be said, I suppose, last thing I need to address is just to say thank you, everybody, for what uh, what you've done for this podcast over the last 12 months. Um, Dan's not aware of this, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to inform him now because I only literally found out about these sort of facts and figures um, earlier. Well, I'll say earlier today. It's more like late last night, really. Uh, in 2023, as this will be our last episode of this calendar year, our listenership has gone up by 390%. We we have episodes that we recorded a few years ago, hitting numbers that I've not had with other podcasts in in any recording time of my life. Um, The Doctor Who pod is just going from strength to strength. We've had a huge surge in listeners in America, a huge surge in listeners in Canada. Uh, I don't know what's happened. I don't know what's made it take off. But in the last couple of months, even the back catalogue is just the numbers have gone up and up and up and up. Even going back as far as season one, episode one, which now, believe it or not, Dan, is back being our most listened to episode. It's really? just over, the la- over the last few months, it's exploded. And not just that one, randomly, pretty much all of them are going up and up and up. So I want to say thank you so oh. much to everybody who listens to this show. Thank you so much to everybody who has joined us recently and gone back and checked out our back catalogue because that's obviously what's going on. So thank you so, so much for that. Thank you to everybody who has retweeted, got in contact, guested on the show, etc., etc. A huge thank you, of course, to you yourself, Dan, for t- you know taking this journey with me and putting in so much work into this podcast as well. A little peek behind the curtain for people listening. Uh, everyone's aware that you know SJP World Media. I, I, the, the lads jokingly call me the boss because they know it pisses me off and makes me cringe a bit. But <laughs> I, I, I do effectively run the network. That, that is the way it works. Um, I'm not the boss, but I kind of deal with things behind the scenes. Um, 
that means I'm busy on certain aspects of, of the podcasting world and production and so on. And Dan, without us actually having a conversation about it, Dan has took over so much to do with this particular podcast, uh, arranging what we're covering, arranging guests, talking what we're talking about and, and so on. Um, and it's took so much pressure off me and I think it's improved the show no end as well. So thank you so, so much, Dan, for all that you've done from that aspect. And finally, from me, I suppose, Merry Christmas to everybody who's listened to the Doctor Who pod and is listening right now. And I hope everyone has a bloody wonderful new year and you'll hear back from us pretty much in, I suppose, the first week of January, Dan, I'm guessing. Yeah, it'll be around about then. And um, that's blown me away, mate. I mean, um, anybody who knows me knows I don't, I don't really care about numbers or anything like that because if I start focusing on the numbers, this will stop being fun. Because any project I do, it's because I want to talk to my mates about something I'm passionate about. Yes, and yeah, totally. To know that... We know that we've come. What did you say? Three hundred and ninety percent. Three. I can't remember exactly what it was. Either three hundred and sixty something or three hundred and ninety something. Well, those who know, those who know me, those who know me are aware that I, I don't know. If I've got some sort of little dyslexia tick or something, but I get my nines and my sixes muddled up, and I get my M's and my W's muddled up. So it's either three nine six, sorry, three nine something or three six something. One or the other. <laughs> That's Either way, it's amazing, and it, you know, we we sort of. I went in. I go into this into these projects saying I'm, I'm just going to have a good time chatting to my mate, and that's always the vibe that we went for. And you know, you say about me picking up bits and pieces of the podcast. Um, it's part of me being a control, a, a little bit of a control freak when I have these ideas, like the mad idea for this season five drafts <laughs> and yeah. stuff like that. But honestly, but it, I, I could, you know with yourself and with Rob, you know, you guys do all the editing. You make me sound less of a dickhead. And I can't thank you enough for that because it must be a Herculean task. And I'm just so happy to be on this, you know, along for the ride, basically. And, yeah, it, you're great. Love you to bits, pal. Thank you for having me along. And I can't wait to travel through the next God knows how many seasons with well, there we go. And there will be many, many more, I feel. Uh, again, Merry Christmas, everyone. Happy New Year. Uh, I'm off now to basically visit my little sister. And because she very much takes after her big brother, we're going to drink ourselves fucking stupid. Merry Christmas, Dan. I'm going to go walk the dog and have to deal with dog shit. So, yeah. <laughs> Merry, oh, Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. <laughs> it's the end. But the moment has been prepared for. I don't want to go. That was a nice nap. Now, down to business. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, 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 dun. Why are we doing the stream thing? That. What's that? Sounds like you're doing the stream oh, dancing thing, Junior. No, that's um, that's a dun 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 dun. dun. Da, 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 da. In it? Is that the oh, one? Fair enough. Or is that no, celebrity or, or Big Brother? <laughs> no, it would be Big Brother. Big Brother's that. Um, no, Big Brother's got his own tune on it. That's in the charts. Speaking of Big Brother, have you seen that Davina McCall's going to be in the um, Christmas special of Doctor Who? I have, yes. Yeah. She was a smackhead, wasn't she? What, in real life? Or? Yeah. Yeah, apparently but, she was like. A proper druggie before she got famous and she cleaned herself up and uh, got her life together so mm, fair play so it usually goes the other way 
I think that's right. Anyway, I might be wrong about that. <laughs> I'm so fairly certain. That in the outtakes, just in case it's liable. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm fairly certain that's right. Let me just have a quick look. Davina. No, come on. You've got, you've, you've got to be sorted. Or Smackhead. Hang on. <laughs> um, ah, Davina McCall on how she beat heroin addiction. So, yeah, it must be true. Oh, fair yeah. enough. Well, to, to quote the legendary Sean Locke from 8 out of 10 cats, that'd be a challenging wank. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we begin? Why not? Okie dokie, then. 